0: Hello everyone, and welcome once again to Let's Talk Catholic with Father Scott Lawler. As we always try to do, let's start with the prayer for the cause of canonization of Venerable Frederick Barriger. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O oh God, thank you for the life and holiness of your servant, Frederick Barriger. I pray you will honor him by the title of saint. He dedicated himself completely to missionary activity to make you known, loved and served by the people who you love. As a man of peace and love, Baraga brought peace and love wherever he travelled. Lord, grant me the graces and favours for which I pray. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to be doing a series for Lent, and the theme of the series is going to be all about G.K. Chesterton. And and um, I'm actually very blessed to be able to... I'm doing this with my, my uh, next oldest brother, Father Mark Lawler, the one who lives in France. Um, he is a bit of an authority on Chesterton. He's been working on a doctorate on the ecclesiology of Chesterton and I, uh, you'll know you've, well, if you're a regular listener you'll have um, heard his voice in the previous few weeks I think that he's got a project that he's trying to to work on in regards to getting a re-launching a, a school that he started in France that was badly affected by Covid it's a, a boys boarding school and he's trying to get that going. Um, if you want to know more about Chesterton, the American Chesterton Society has a, has a great website, and it's it's called, It's called very simply called chesterton.org, and you actually can sign up for uh, Lenten daily messages. Uh, so we are going to be talking about Chesterton with an eye to the fact that we're doing this during, during Lent, but... If you want to know more of, about, about Chesterton, the conferences they have and things like that um, then that would be chesterton.org uh, I hope that you'll all find this very interesting. Uh, one of the things and we'll be mentioning this at some point, my, my brother's doing this uh, because he's my brother but also, um, oh, he's an authority on it, but also because the project that he's working on, there, there's always looking for funding and prayers and things like that so we will be giving out the website of the the college in France and they're, they're always interested in hearing from from people supportive messages and any, anything else that people can can offer so and now I'm going to pause for just a second and call my brother and then um uh, we'll see how this this goes so this is going to be all about Chesterton with reflections and things about his life and and also some of his works as we go on I I, I really do think that you'll all find this uh, inter- uh, very interesting okay so I have my brother Father Mark Lawler on the, the phone he's phoning from France where it is probably very sunny is that right father
1: uh, it's it's all right today tomorrow it's going to be between eighteen and around eighteen
0: or twenty degrees which is summer oh maybe. no you're speaking foreign you're speaking um in centigrade there aren't you yes, yes <laughs> we're, 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 <laughs> yeah people do yeah no people need to, people need to translate that them themselves okay I have no idea how you
1: do that you, you uh, pick up the first number you thought of that
0: Multiply it yes, and then spin round and then poke yourself in the eye or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, um, as an intro, I was just talking about the, the fact that, um, Chesterton is, is one of your loves. And, um, and I think even before we get in, get into this, could you tell people how you came across Chesterton and, um, how he managed to grab, to grab you? uh the truth
1: is I don't really remember um I remember uh maybe maybe your uh, listeners don't know but uh, you and I as we know obviously uh we were great um, fans of, of uh, shadow Holmes and uh, so I do remember reading the father Brown stories but not really liking them when I was young because they weren't they weren't straightforward mysteries the way shadow Holmes was there was a problem that needed to be solved uh, and uh they were, they were very different. So I, I don't. So it wasn't through Father Brown, which is how lots of people I've met. The first thing they've read is is Father Brown. For me, it was orthodoxy. Uh, I liked the the idea of the title, and I remember it would be. It's not really that long ago. It was
0: probably only about twenty years ago. So uh, was it something so was, yeah. that the? If you remember, did someone like hand you it and say to you, "Here, read this," or? No. Would-
1: no, it was, it was at a time when I was, uh, I was just looking for something to read and I found an old copy lying around and I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And I've never read that before. And I started reading it. And I remember I can picture it now reading it, trying to read the book and I'd get through four pages and then I'd think, do you know, I didn't understand three words. <laughs> yeah. So I'd go back and read yeah. the three pages again. Because his, his writing was, I thought at the time, very, very dense. In retrospect, now I look back, once you get used to the way he writes, you realize it's not dense at all. It's just he has a different way of looking at the world. And therefore you've got to be, when you're, when you're in his, in his way of looking at the world, when you understand his language, suddenly it's easy to read him. But at the beginning, it's quite difficult. You think well, uh, plus you've got the problem of the the language. That book was written in 1908, uh, so it's very much a, a different way of of uh, of expressing the English language, I suppose. So anyway, I, I read Orthodoxy and I liked it, and uh, so I, I began to read more, and then and then more and then more. And of course,
0: with Chesterton, there's always more. Uh, yeah, no, and I, I, I think. Um... That's something that I uh, will touch upon at some point about just the, 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 the amount of work that he, that he, how prodigious he was and how he put, um, things out. Now, um, so one of the, I guess one of the goals that we're hoping for, for this series, uh, that we're doing is to try to help people not be frightened to delve into Chesterton and maybe give some keys to, to how how people might actually read them, perhaps. The thing is, it,
1: it it is worth remembering that he's not an esoteric writer. He does. He's not a highbrow writer. He was. He was writing uh, for newspapers, mostly. He was a columnist for the Daily News, the, and then the, and then another newspaper, which was very famous in its day, the Illustrated London News. And he had, a, he had a column in the Illustrated London News for, for more than 30 years until his death. Uh, and he had his own newspaper, GK's Weekly. And he was writing, in other words, for ordinary people to read. It wasn't highbrow stuff. It was written so that you would, you would read it while you're reading a newspaper and you'd read his essay on whatever the latest thing he wants to say.
0: About the modern world, or about something. About so people, history. people will be reading this on the bus and on the underground.
1: Yes, and of course the fact that he that he had the, he had these columns first the Daily News and then the Illustrated London News. There's no way he could have had a column for 35 years, I think it was, in the Illustrated London News, if uh, if nobody understood. What he was saying, right. or if people found yeah. difficult, people found actually when he was writing, people found his his writing style um, very interesting, very easy to easy to 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 engage with. The Illustrated London News, for example, was what it says on the on the, the title. It was a way of delivering news to people which had uh, which had illustrations. We don't we don't do this anymore because we've discovered that you know photography is much better. But it, it, the the uh, at the first, the the late nineteenth century and the early twentieth century, newspapers uh, in, on the continent, probably in America, but I don't know, but certainly in the continent uh, and in Britain, uh, there'd be illustrators who would who would draw. So, the yeah, I, of, uh, I, you know, the,
0: the Titanic in nineteen twelve would have had pictures, but it wouldn't have been photographs. No, I, and was. actually, most likely where people might have seen this is if they've ever watched anything. Documentary-wise about Jack the Ripper.
1: Yes, Jack the Ripper. Yes, that's the, so you had, you, had, and you had different types of newspapers for different, frankly, different classes of people.
0: Yeah. So, but they were know, very the kind of they were very heavy on the lurid drawings and things like that, weren't they? That's uh, yes, for the, the thing. for the for the lower orders as it were. Whereas the, the Times newspaper until I think until the the
1: twenties or thirties, the Times newspaper had, had nothing in it. but Newsprint, to t- no pictures, no drawings, no nothing. That that was seen as it was seen as a bit common, a bit vulgar to have to have uh, drawings. But the London Illustrated News was the most popular of those uh, that, that was telling the news, but also showing pictures of drawings of the Boer War or of uh, this, the the uh, sinking of the Lusitania,
0: whatever it might be. Yeah. So, uh, so, Chesterton had that 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 popular appeal. Now, before we, um. Do you want to? I, I mean, we talked about about whether we were going to bio or perhaps do the this the poem about Our lady that um that that you. Well, let's,
1: I'll, well, just I'll give a few details, a uh, few basic, uh, basic uh, biographical uh, details about him, which is okay, uh, just to fill out the picture, really. Uh, yeah. So that we get an idea of, of how Gilbert Keith Chesterton. In those days, and well into the 20th century, people began, people were using their their initials, uh, especially writers, you know, think of C.S. Lewis, or G. R. R. Tolkien, or uh, A.C. Benson, R.H. Benson, and all these various people. So he became known as uh, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, He was born in May, 29th of May, in 1874. So he's very much born in in the mid of the Victorian era, uh, and he was born in in London, uh, in in, um, in a, a London that, that, that when, he, when he begins to write his stories, it's very much a a Victorian London that he that he writes about. He's born in Kensington, well, uh, uh, Camden Hill, but what we now think of as, as Kensington. His father was uh, a state agent. Uh, the state agency Chesterton's still exists, although it's not owned by the family anymore. But that still exists after one hundred and fifty years or more in, in London. Uh, his father, uh, his mother was French, uh, Swiss French uh, origin. Uh, so he he grew up with a with with a, a more what we might now call a cosmopolitan. Uh, attitude, he, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a little Englander, although he's often portrayed by people as a little Englander. That idea that, that, uh, you need to, you need to just think about your own country and everything. The reason for that is because he was, he was always attacking what's called jingoism, particularly during the Boer War. He was very against Britain's, uh, Britain's, uh, um, attempts to force the,
0: the the boars to to accept. Uh, we, we better just, just just explain. You're not talking about wild pigs here. That the the boar the boar example, is a Dutch word boar. for a farmer. Yeah. It's uh, the,
1: the South African. The, the, it's yeah. so Long before the, the present problems in South Africa, of course, but uh, in the in the uh, 19th century, uh, Britain was still involved in in various places in Africa. But is that, that would be a, a, a rabbit hole to go down. Yes, so, yes. Just the idea that he was, although he, he was cosmopolitan, he was not a little Englander. He did not believe in just uh, looking to your own country, although he believed that small is beautiful, and he believed that, that the only way you can you can love the world is to love your neighborhood, is to love the, people, the your place, your house. Your home is where you will find the world. In fact, he wrote this wonderful uh, story about a man who who goes off in a boat to look for some, some excitement. And uh, he ends up uh, shipwrecked. And he wanders around and, uh, about how marvellous this new place that he's discovered is, only to find out eventually that he's outside his own front door. Because yeah. that's a big thing for Chester, to look at the world with wonder and suddenly to see it all anew. And if we could, if we could do, do that, he thinks that we we'll begin to see the world as it, as it truly is and, and not get depressed by the whole depression that we, that we fall into of, of the modern world, well, for him, of so the would, modern world, 20th
0: century. Would we say that he had a privileged background? Was money? No, they were middle class, uh, Meaning, uh, were, meaning. Uh, then, what he, he went? He he went to a private school, or?
1: Well, yes, but they didn't really go to. He didn't really go to school as such. He went to, to the the uh, St Paul's School, which was. But it wasn't. It was not. People didn't send middle class people didn't really send the children to school in the same way that, that they began to in the twentieth century. Uh, so his schooling was is is um, sort of incomplete, shall we say. Uh, oh. And he, he then went when he when he uh, left school he went to the Slade School of Art because he planned to become an illustrator he was a great artist really um, and so that was his idea was to was to it, to become a, an artist uh, in the end he he discovered he he went to work for various um, publishers doing proofreading uh, and and that's how he ended up. Getting a column in the in the, uh, the Daily News, and from 1900 he never looked back. He was he, he made his living as a writer, uh, but not writing highbrow, not writing novels. He did write novels, but only after he had been writing uh, essays. Uh, but his novels are still published. There's, there's none of his works have ever gone out of out of print. His most famous uh, novels, like the the Napoleon of Notting Hill. Uh, the um, uh, the Father Brown stories he he discovered as a way of well frankly as a way of making money which is what Conan Doyle had done uh, as we know um, when Conan Doyle ran out of money he would write some more Sherlock Holmes stories Father Brown was, was started out for Chesterton as a sort of way of of uh, making money uh, you know just writing yeah. he, he would write. But stories. It wasn't just right, short stories, mystery stories, etc. They were not what he
0: thought he was. Just to go back to you said he he went to a Saint Paul Saint Paul's school, so um, yeah. Anglican. Was uh, he? Yes,
1: well, when he grew up. He was baptised an uh, Anglican, but uh, but he, his parents were Unitarians, but they didn't really go anywhere.
0: Right, now, so so Anglican, of course, here in the States, that's the uh, Episcopalians. But he yes. would have... The Anglicans where he grew up, what he'd have been exposed... Well, so Unitarians don't believe in the Trinity. They're barely Christian, really. They're, they're, um, so he didn't really have a religious upbringing as such.
1: No, not at all. No, his parents were not, were not uh, religious at all. They were re- only religious in the sense that, that middle-class Victorians were religious. Uh, you know, they were they were seen as religious, even though they weren't. One of his great heroes was uh, was Dickens. And yet, when you think of Dickens, think of if Dickens wrote a lot about
0: Christmas. Yeah.
1: Without, in yeah. all of his Christmas writings, you get nothing
0: at all about Christ. I know. I, actually, I, I, I did a, I did a program on Christmas Carol pointing out that and now I now think it's commonly held that Dickens was an atheist. He just wasn't well, overt.
1: He, he certainly wasn't a, a practicing uh, Christian in that sense. Yeah. But he, he understood the, the cultural significance and that sort of a deeper, uh, what, what uh, C.S. Lewis would call it, a, a deeper magic, the deep magic of Christianity, that it was part of the culture. Yeah. Uh, which is what we've kind of lost one of the things that Chesterton uh, returns to all the time is the idea along with, with his great friend Hileo Bello that, that the faith is our culture that our culture comes from the faith the faith, Catholic faith gave birth to Western civilization and when Western civilization cuts itself off from the faith it will cut itself off from its own roots and it will perish or as as Hileo Bello What's put it famously in one of his uh, essays that, that Europe is the faith, the faith is Europe, and unless Europe returns to the faith, she will perish. Uh, by by Europe, he didn't just mean uh, the continent of Europe; he meant European civilization, which is, of course, I mean, American civilization is is yeah. is, uh, is part of uh, that. Western civilization that comes and t- grows out of
0: Christianity. And yeah, talk you're, is, talking about Christendom, really, aren't you? Let's, yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, but then he used he used uh, Bellot was using the, the, the phrase
0: uh, Europe when he really meant he meant Christendom. He meant civilization. Yeah. Now, so that's <coughs> you. Excuse me. You just kind of put where Chesterton ended up, but that's not where he started. So, um, let's let's talk about. What were the predominant kind of philosophies when he was growing up? So there would have been Darwinism very much coming to the fore. Oh, yes. Darwinism was very, was very big
1: and it was being promoted by, by all the the major people, uh, the major writers of the, of the time. For example, his, his contemporaries were as, as, uh, as a writer, I suppose, uh, it'd be people like H.G. Wells who was, uh, he's more or less the same. He was born in 1866. So, so, you know, not, not the, just the decade before uh, Chesterton. And he was, uh, he was a sort of huge figure at the time uh, in, in writing circles. And he, of course, wrote uh, novels. I think he wrote more than 50 novels yeah. in short stories, non fiction. You know he was uh, but he was big into social commentary politics history all those popular science all those things he was a pro- proponent of socialism he was a proponent of uh, Darwinism uh, and this his science fiction for example was kind of uh, a utopian science fiction in a way it was all about um, it's all about how just how marvelous uh, man is and, uh, uh, and then famously of course in 1920 he wrote he wrote uh, uh, his, his, uh, his history of the world it's got an outline of history uh, I think it's subtitled as a short history of the world uh, it, where he he starts basically supposed to be everything from about the creation creation of the world, although he would, as an atheist, he didn't really believe in creation, but the beginning of the world until the, the First World War, just, just in 19, published in 1919, I think. Um, and there's still mm-hmm. about two million copies of this book, an outline of history. So his his historical book, Wells was was, uh, was, was a huge person. Millions of people reading this book. Essendon, Thought that this book was 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 one of the worst things. He was friendly with Wells, but he thought it was one of the worst things to ever ever happen because it was uh, it was saying basically that that uh, that there's no place for Christianity. Uh, he uh, famously, I think, it's Belloc who says that H.G. Uh, um, Wells spends more time talking about the the fall of the Assyrian Empire than he does speaking of the birth of Christ. Uh, so Chesterton set, set out a couple of years later, published in 1925. He wrote, he wrote a rebuttal, which he called The Everlasting Man, which is basically, uh, taking the whole of history, uh, from man's beginning mm-hmm. until, until now. But really, the, 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 it's in two parts, for example, uh, the, uh, the creature called man is the first part. And, then, and then, uh, the the second one is on the map called Christ. So basically, he takes he, he tells this Christian anthropology, in, in rebuttal of Wells, who who's trying to say that there's no place for God, certainly no place for Christ in this in in the in, in the history of man. And Chesterton is saying there's only one way to look at man. One is that that you look at the, at the man who is Christ, the everlasting man. And you look at man himself, the creature man, who's also everlasting.
0: So there's, there's the whole, uh, this usual uh, paradox. Now, just, um, um, on that thought, because, but I want to go back to a few things. That, what you've just said, that's actually in one of Vatican II's documents that mankind knows himself properly to the extent in which he understands his relationship to Christ, the God, God who became man. So, um, which is interesting, because uh, obviously Chesterton said this it's, quite a while before. Not, it, would, it,
1: it wouldn't be that, that Chesterton doesn't believe in evolution, for example,
0: yeah. but he doesn't believe in evolutionism—that you know, the whole yeah. idea that. Yeah. Well, actually, and, and that's one of the, one, the I want to go back to how we kind of got into journalism. You you did allude to it, but the 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 world he was growing up in. So the thing, and this is what I think a lot of people don't understand this but they do, it's clear when it's pointed out, that Darwinism was very, very much pro-eugenics. Because it was supposed to be that Victorian society was the pinnacle of of human creation, and if you didn't fit a certain model, uh, and of course in Chesterton's world, you, you were on one side or the other of that argument, weren't you? And that was the thing. Well, he had
1: no time for what was then called
0: eugenics. yes yeah. uh, we might may, maybe need to explain what eugenics are to to people.
1: Well, we would know. We would know. Just it's not a phrase that's got used now, but we would for us eugenics would be would be the whole, the whole business of the uh, of what the the Nazis were doing, with, uh, and certainly the whole business of. Um,
0: uh, what people like Margaret Fanger were doing. Yep. Uh, because, American because this wasn't, it, it was the, the American Eugenics Society is the original name of Planned Parenthood.
1: Yes, because it wasn't a bad word then. No. It, it became a bad, yeah. so, so, and then when it became a bad word, people just,
0: as usual, they stopped using it. So, um, because that's what always happens, isn't it? Yeah. So let's go back to, he's, he's a young, young man. He is in a, a world where people are really trying to diminish religion. Um, science is supposed to have the answer for, for everything. Um, he leans towards very artistic things, but in order to get work, he's as, as a proofreader. Uh, and then he becomes a journalist, but he wasn't the first journalist in his family. So he, he did have, he did kind of know how journalism worked, didn't he? Because, his brother.
1: Well, I don't think, I don't think his, his, his younger brother um, was, was not, uh, I don't think, uh, when, when he he became a, when Cecil Chesterton was this was his, uh, his younger brother who, who died uh, in the First World War. He didn't die in the war, he died uh, in December 1918, which was just after the war, but he died uh, uh, as a result of the war, of the of, uh, things that happened to him in the war, uh, and he, he, of course he, would, he was the great friend of, of uh, Belloc, and, and the, the distributism, which is a, uh, basically it's just Catholic social teaching that becomes a political movement, so how do you, how do you look at the world? You you do you want to look at free market economies, or do you, want, do you want to look at socialism, or do you want to listen to what Pope Leo XIII said, uh, Edward Navarro, and you want to say there's the Catholic way to, to run a society, and so distributors was was that, and. Uh, So they weren't, they they didn't believe in socialism. They believed in in, uh, distributism, really, about people being able to have their own, uh, people must have their own property because people owning things, as most Americans, it's it's not an issue for most Americans unless they're of the far left, that owning, owning things makes for a good society because if you own something, you've got to look after it. And if you look after it, uh, and, and, and it de- benefits the whole of society. So this idea that state uh, uh, socialism that everyone should just own everything, not nobody looks after everything. You only have to look at anything that's publicly owned. Yeah, and there. as you
0: said, this is actually it's actually Catholic social teaching. But yes, wh- wh- that, where we're on this, so some people might read articles or might hear people talk about Belloc was a socialist, right? So, I, I think, again, although you've just explained it, could you go over again that that's not, it's not socialism as, as we understand socialism no, it's now. Not socialism at
1: all. No, no, distributism was a, it's very much a thing of its time. It, nobody talks about it after about, you know, 1940 or so. Uh, although it changes, its, it changes its name and it just, we just start talking about Catholic social teaching, really. But distributism, it's it's an economic idea that so it's it's a it's a political idea that the world's that the assets of the world should be should be widely owned rather than concentrated. Now, so people would say, oh, that sounds a bit socialist, but of course it it wasn't because it was also saying that people the right to property is a fundamental right. People should be people must not just be allowed to, but people must be encouraged. To own things, the the great mantra, the jockey mantra that they had was that everyone should have a field and a cow. Everyone should have one acre and a cow. You know, so everyone should have enough for themselves. Everyone should, and then the world would be would be a better place if you encouraged everyone to look after their their acre and look
0: after their cow. But that's I, yeah, a very fine way of looking at it. But as you touched upon, yeah. that's that's how. Um, devious people try to sell communism. Yes, but it's it's not because the
1: means the, 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 the communism is all about the means of of production being uh, belonging to the you know to sort of everyone and therefore no one.
0: Yeah. But although
1: although in in distributism the idea is the means of production should be spread as widely as possible, but it shouldn't be under the control of the state, which is what socialism is. Socialism says it should be widely owned. What they mean by that is the state should own it, whereas distributism says it means the means of production should be widely
0: owned, but not by the state. No. So, for example. Yeah. Sorry. Go yeah. on. Go
1: on. No, I was going to say that. So, when you think about uh, what that means, is you know, you you would have you want you want small businesses. Uh, what what that wonderful American expression of uh, mom and pop stores things yeah. you would. You, you want, that's the best way for things to work yeah that's what, that,
0: what that's what i was going to say what i was going to say to you was you mentioned it earlier um at, near the start small is beautiful and what that yes. what that means is not is, is actually what you're describing there
1: yes and also the the there's an argument that the distributors have going the argument that that uh, socialism and capitalism are really just products of uh, the the European Enlightenment, so-called Enlightenment, which just always saying is really a darkening of everything. It was not an Enlightenment at all, uh, in the same way that the Dark Ages were actually the ages of light, not the Dark Ages. Um, but the perceived notion that, that the Enlightenment meant that, that suddenly we looked at the world in this new way and realised that you either had to be one or the other. Distributism is sort of somewhere in the middle between the two, it's taking the good parts and there are good parts in, in in capitalism and there are good parts good ideas in socialism and then it's trying to put them to take those good parts and make a new system out of it that works in, in the interest of everyone including the interest of society so so um, it's very much a, a thing that, that sees that society is important Chesterton is a great believer in in uh, in the idea that 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 this is this is where we live so uh, he, he hated jingoism that idea that you that you wave a flag and say my country's better than any other country but he but he wanted people to be waving flags and saying I love my country so patriotism for, for Chesterton and belloc etc is not a bad word it's a good word unless it becomes jingoistic because that's when it leads to problems because we only have to look at the
0: history of the world to see that at the moment. Yeah. Start
1: getting,
0: you know Would you would you say was he reactionary? Was he observational, or was he something else? What what drove him as he became a man and start, started writing his essays and and things like that? Well, he very he 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 wrote uh,
1: he wrote about uh, one of his interests one of his. Characters he was interested in was uh, uh, Don Quixote in La and um, he wrote a book, The Return of Don Quixote. Uh, the that tilting at windmills is maybe that's too pat to say that that's a thing that he would he would see. You know, there's this thing in in, uh, in Don Quixote where he wants to he wants to be a knight errant and he wants to he wants to right all wrongs and put things. You know, he doesn't care if the rest of the world has given up chivalry, he will not give up chivalry, and so he puts on his old armor and he goes out to fight imaginary dragons. Yeah, that's Just a bit like that. He, he was, you know, he was known as the uh, that one of the one one uh, writer uh, described him as the the the, the knight of the of the holy ghost. That oh, he was, uh, yeah, right. Okay. The, the, his whole thing was that he was fighting on behalf of of. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who Walter de la Mer, That's who it was. It was the writer Walter de la Mare who said uh, the Colchester and the the uh, the Knight of the Holy Ghost. And in fact, just before his before his death, he was made a Knight Commander of the of the Order of St Gregory with Star by the Pope for oh. his for his uh, defence of Catholic of the Catholic faith. He was a great uh,
0: defender of. All things, things Catholic, even before he was a Catholic. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to that. We'll certainly try and get to that before we, we finish this. Now, um, I want to go into, uh, some of the, 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 because you already mentioned a few of them, some of the characters that were contemporary to him. But let's talk about his wife. When did he get married? What age were they? Do you remember? I don't know, roughly. And, um, they got married in, uh, in
1: 1901. Which, strangely, if memory serves, is exactly the same year that he first met Hilaire Belloc. Okay. So, basically, Chesterton, before 1900... 1900 is when he gets his his job uh, writing, his first writing job. Before that... Uh, so he's very much a creature of the 20th century in that sense. His output is all from the 20th century. And meeting, meeting Belloc and Marion Francis' blogs, as her name was... These were seminal moments. these were the moments that began his career as a as a writer as well Made it, they, they they restored him to sanity. He's always talking about that this the restoration of sanity that that you need to you need to return to sanity. you know you get a bit mad about this for that the other you go a bit crazy. return to sanity
0: is always the thing no um, would it be fair to say if people picture in their their eyes their minds that the famous poster. Of Winnie the Pooh and Piglet walking towards the sunset, that would be like looking at Chesterton and his wife walking together. Well, Francis was flat, was, but then when they got oh. married, he was tall and thin. Oh, was he? Oh, okay, okay. Right. Yes, he was a tall, thin man. But he was a tall, um, t- he was, he was he well, well he over was six feet. feet. So, he was six foot four.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the, the by the time he died he was he you know, was
0: he was, was around, you know, hundred and thirty kilograms. Yeah. Twenty the, for
1: us. Twenty twenty and a half
0: stone. Yeah, which is twenty times fourteen if people want to work out what the poundage is. Yeah. Right. No, it's 130, 130, 130 or uh, kilograms or two hundred and eighty six pounds I've just looked at. Oh right, okay. Right. Now to, to what do, what do we have, do we have any recordings of his voice? Yes. Yes, he made various recordings for the BBC in the 1930s. And how would you describe his voice? Was it did it go with this big, big man, or was it mellow? It was, or? Of, I mean,
1: he was in his 60s, then, So he was a man of his uh, of his age, and uh, but, but and he was he wasn't <laughs> in the best of health, to be honest, at that point. Um, but for example, he, he, he wouldn't let that stop him not being in, in good health. When in 1930, when he went to Indiana to, to, uh, Notre Dame, he was invited there to give some talks. He went and when they asked him why he had come, because he wasn't in very good health. Uh, his answer was, it's such a Catholic answer. He said, how could I not come when you're, when the place is named after Our Lady? He said, I, I couldn't refuse. There you go. That's a good. That's a good answer. So, yeah, yeah. You no, know, he, he's, he's, uh, um, I, I know that's the kind of uh, a politician would have given that answer as well. And he was certainly not a politician, but uh, but he. This is this is a man who who, when he, for instance, lots of lovely anecdotes about him. He, he was he was asked he was commissioned to write a book about um, about St. Francis. Uh, and so he wrote he wrote a book about St. Uh, Francis because yeah. he loved St. Francis. And he also loved uh, um, um, Saint, Saint uh, Dominic, and so so he called that the dumb ox, of course. Yeah. And he got he got his secretary to go to the go to various libraries and get all these books. Out uh, you mean
0: sorry, you mean Aqu- uh, Aquinas? Uh, oh yeah, sorry, Aquinas. Yeah, Because yes, yeah, I'm because I'm going, cause I'm going to ask you a question about about these two books in a second. So go ahead. All right. I was thinking, just thinking, uh, D- Dominican.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, thinking. yeah, was... yeah. Um, and she, so the secretary, went off and, and, and she got all these got all these books and uh, she brought them back. And he used to he used to dictate. She would she would type, and he would he would do the thing. Anyway, he wrote the book on on Aquinas without looking at any of these books. They all just lay there. Yeah. And she she's the one who was typing, so she knew this. She had once on a biography of him. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, and not just that, not just then, but even to this day, there are there are Aquinas scholars who say that it's the best uh, book about Aquinas uh, ever written, because he, he he has the way. There's a the thing he he has this uh, this idea that he puts it into various of his stories. It, so clearly, it's not it's not just a story device. It's very much he he puts he gives it to Father Brown, but he also gives it to to uh to various other people in other stories the idea that you you know if you want to understand a man he says uh, father brown says you have to you have to really get into his skin you have to see yourself he, he, so father brown says for example i i think of my i don't just think what would i do i i say what well, what you know i am the murderer what would i you know and so yeah. he himself. And i think chesterton was able to do that which is why he was the an empathetic person. He may, he, may, he had a wonderful gift for making friends and had
0: almost no enemies. Now, just because I wanted a specific question about those two books you just mentioned, but go back to his wife. So his wife was religious, wasn't she? Yes,
1: she was a practicing
0: high Anglican. Yes, which, uh, just so people know, that's like Catholic, non, that, that's as well, Catholic well, as you well, can, can be without being Catholic. Yeah. Yeah,
1: they called themselves Anglo Catholics yeah. because, uh, because they were, uh, that's, that's just the way they, they thought of themselves. It was a movement, the Oxford movement. It was a movement in the 19th century. Uh, John Henry Newman, St. John Henry Newman, for example, was, was a prominent figure in it. Uh, so he becomes, he starts going to church with her and he, he then eventually becomes, but he didn't start, uh, going to, the High Anglican Church. He started
0: elsewhere and moved up. Okay, remember we, we, we you get to that. <laughs> I want to go going back to the book about Saint Francis and the book about Saint Thomas Aquinas. No. Yes. Yeah, they're, um, they're quite late. In this career, yes, really. but but there's a, a, a curious thing here. If you're going to pair somebody. If you're going to pair between the, the two orders, you know, the, the historical friction between the Franciscans and the Dominicans, you would think it would be St. Francis and St. Dominic or St. Bonaventure and St. Thomas Aquinas. He did that out of kilter. Any reflections on that? Is it, is it, do we know why those? Is it just because he was asked to do it or these particular individuals? Inter- he was asked. He was okay.
1: asked to, to write
0: those books. so... Okay. You see what I'm saying there? Because Bonaventure equates more with Aquinas and Francis equates more with Dominic being the founders than the two major intellectual sons, as it were. Um, I've always, I've just always wondered about that, about the fact that they don't seem to pair. And, and one of the things that, that you're obviously, you're going to go on to talk about, you've alluded to earlier, is that the kind of off-kilter way, it's almost as if Chesterton looks at the world. With his head to one side, like the way a cat would look at the world. Um, and I wondered if that was part of that. Um, but I guess not then. Okay. So. Well, certainly, if you, if you
1: think about, uh, I mean, certainly with St. Francis, if Francis is not someone who, that's why I, I would imagine just was so interested in St. Francis, because he certainly is not someone who looks at the world the way his contemporaries do. No. Yeah. You no, know, Francis yeah. is someone who is very much out of time, out of his, out of, out of the milieu, he, he's and Chesterton's a bit like that. Yeah. He's, he's a, a bewildering
0: person to many people. And you, you could have—I mean—you could say that similar things about Aquinas, I guess, in that that he had a different way of looking at the world. He, he had the clarity of the, the the world that many people, obviously, as we know, supposed to be since the Reformation that every seminarian they taught Aquinas, and we. Uh, Every priest is supposed to have studied Aquinas, and the world would be a much better place if that actually had come to pass because of the yes, I, the, the clarity. I think also he,
1: he would see uh, that the Catholic philosophy is, and and there's no there's no greater Catholic philosopher than Aquinas. Um, so he would see that as the answer to to the to the insanity of the world. Yeah, that he's that he's in. He's in a world that's. Is a new world the, 20, the early 20th century? But then, of course, in the midst of the new world, you have the eruption of, of the First World War, which is not just a terrible thing for the entire world, but is a terribly terrible thing. Is he loses his brother, uh, and so there's a whole load of, of the how do you make sense of that kind of that kind of world? You need, uh, As I said before, you need, as he would say, a return to sanity. You need to, to, to turn your head back in the right direction and start looking at the right things. And first principles always. He always goes back to first principles so that you, you're asking the right questions of the right people and you're not just... So you, you, you're always looking to to find out uh, the, the real reasons for things and not just some superficial answer, which is why he gets so bored with politics, which is why at the time, he turned away from liberalism which was which of course in the end everyone does the liberal party was the dominant party at the the end of the the 19th century to the 20th century uh, i think lloyd george was the last liberal uh, prime minister just before the first world war but by the time you get to the 1930s the liberal party doesn't exist really it still exists in the sense that it, it it's a party but they were they never came near power again ever they, they disappeared because the world had changed, and yeah. in the place of the, Labour, the liberal party, we ended up in Britain with a Labour Party, which was a new party, a socialist party, which is still dominant. Uh It's to that took the place of the Liberal Party. Uh, but his question would be why? Why was it? Why not that they, they were hoping that distributism would become a, a new a new social movement, a new
0: political movement, but it didn't. No. Sure came in um because next next time we're we're going to be looking at his conversion path so so rather than going back to what influence Francis might have had on them we we've got less less than fifteen minutes now so uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to go through some of the some character some famous maybe not so famous now people some of them you've mentioned and and maybe try and get a a little bio and and how how he might have interacted with these people. So you've mentioned him many. One of his closest friends was Hilaire Belloc. Now we could do a whole series of programs on Hilaire Belloc, but what are the, what would you think of the important things for people to know in in relation to Chesterton? Because Chesterton, as you said, was a mild, pleasant, friendly man. Whereas what was Pe- Belloc called when he was an MP? Thunderpants. Yeah, the thing is, Chesterton had a had
1: a, an affinity with people. Chesterton made friends easily and did not make enemies easily. Belloc, on the other hand, made enemies very easily and made very few real friends because he was a volatile. He was half French. He was an
0: Anglo-French. Uh, uh, but he became naturalized British subject. Uh, He's a no, He was a, he was a cradle Catholic, wasn't he? He
1: was. Um, he he was born in 1870, so he's he's only four years younger than than Chesterton, um, and he studied history at at university, so he was an historian and a, a great traveller. He he was a politician at, at first. He became the the MP for Salford uh, from 1906 to 1910. Now this is at a time when when he just he met Chesterton in 1901, I think. So they were they were friends while he was an MP. He left Parliament after one Tower because he couldn't stand the way, the whole way it was, the, the place was run. And he proposed, he then wrote his fabulous book, which was an alternative to socialism, which was called The Servile State, which is when he's having, a, he's trying to push the whole idea of distributism uh, unfortunately, he's nowadays only really remembered for his his, his funny poems. But uh, Matilda, for example, who told lies, and was burnt to death, and uh, his cautionary tales, yeah. which are very funny, but they're not the the they're not by any way the the best thing you could say about.
0: Uh, well, I would encourage uh, encourage people if they want to know um, have a good insight into Islam to read Belloc. Yes, yeah, I mean, Belloc is, is, uh, there's, there's so much in it. And, and the roots, the roots of Europe as well. Um, anyway, so, um, to carry on, H.G. Wells. Now, most people would know H.G. Wells because of War of the Worlds, wouldn't they? That would be the thing. Well, H.G.
1: Wells, H.G. Wells, uh, is most famous to people now. His name would be War of the Worlds, uh, The Invisible Man, uh, Kipps. Oh, people read, read Kipps. The Island of Dr. Moreau.
0: Yeah. Time uh, Mission- Time Machine, Machine, of course, Lewis. yeah. And wasn't there the, 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 another one with the, They Might Be Gods or something like that? was one of his science fiction things, I think. Anyway, so, uh, and then... C.S. Lewis, that one of C.S. Lewis's um, science fiction ones, is it? Yeah. Um, so, and then some other characters which may come up, I think, some of them will. So, George Bernard Shaw.
1: But George Bernard Shaw again, great friend of Chesterton's. They were, they were, but he, would, he, he, Chesterton infuriated Shaw because Shaw was everything that Chesterton wasn't. Shaw was an atheist. Shaw was uh, a socialist. Uh, he was a vegetarian.
0: Irish, uh, Irish poet, Irish poet play, 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 play yes, Irish playwright. Irish poet
1: playwright. Great writer and, and and very, I'm very very famous. And they had a series of of debates that they put on in in, in in London, where the two of them they they would debate each other in front of an audience, uh, basically just having a go at each other's ideas. Uh, but they they because Chesterton was such a good friendly person, people never took offence. But he was he didn't he didn't uh, hold his punches back. So when you they were all published those those debates.
0: Okay. Um, when you read,
1: it, it, it's, uh, he doesn't hold his, hold his punch. In fact, in, before he wrote Orthodoxy, uh, he wrote a book just before that called Heretics, in which he had a go at lots of, uh, famous people of the time of the, of the, uh, the, the early Edwardian period, uh, British people who, and he had a go at them and one of them was, was, uh, one of them was, was, um, was George Bernard Shaw. So he he was in fact he wrote he wrote quite a lot about Bob, George Bernard Shaw and not a lot of it was was complimentary. But Shaw took no offence at it because Shaw was a great a great friend of his. And when he converted to Catholicism, he got a, a telegram from Shaw, very irate telegram saying,
0: "Gilbert, this time you really have gone too far." <laughs> okay. Couldn't accept, my um, two other names that. Um... One extremely well known, both were very well known in Britain. One is ex- extremely well known in the world. So, Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers were both friends as well, weren't they? Well, well, um, the when,
1: when, uh, because Christie and Sayers, they're, they're coming into their own in the, the 20s and 30s, uh, as, as writers of, of uh, detective fiction. Uh, and, and Dorothy L. Sayers is a wee bit. More forgotten now than Chris Agatha Christie, is of course the, the the most successful writer in history. She has sold more uh, more copies of her books than anyone else. I think she's even outsold uh, Shakespeare and everything else. Um, now they, they held just in great esteem, and when they founded a society, not just them, but uh, but there there the were uh, there the were others uh, involved in the. The, in, in these mystery writers, but they, they made him the the, uh, the life president because they all held his writing to be in greatest esteem. So,
0: yeah. so Dorothy Elsale's main character would be Lord Peter Whimsey, wouldn't it? Lord Peter Whimsey, yeah.
1: who's, who's, uh, who's wonderful. She, uh, just on a side note, she, she of course, was a very good Christian. She wasn't a Catholic, yeah. but she was a very good Christian, and she, she uh, so she, she, uh, Chesney um, got on well because of that, but uh, um, she, she's a she's a wonderful person to to rediscover for anyone who who wants to to discover not just that sort of golden age of of, the, of fiction, but her more theological works um, are worth reading as well. She she's um, she's a good sort.
0: Okay, so we're down to the we winding down, and I want. I won't go through. I've got a list here of, of Catholic influences and friends. We can touch upon them next week when we look at, uh, his conversion. And, and I think you were thinking of maybe also showing the importance of Our Lady in his, in his, uh, life. So, um, a couple of things before we finish. One, um, if you were going to recommend, I might ask you this every week because it might change every week. If you were going to recommend someday now, the first delve into Chesterton, what would it be? Well,
1: it's actually, what I like doing, uh, I've got, I've got a huge collection. of, of I'm very fortunate. I've, picked, I've, I've managed to, uh, I've got hundreds of uh, just scoured bookshops. And things back in the day, and sometimes I'll just pull out because lots of his essays were were then published in little collections. And I sometimes just pull them out and just read because the thing is you can read something that's
0: only uh you know, four or five pages. your But, you're, you're, but like, your average person wouldn't get that, would they? They wouldn't be able to have access to that. So No.
1: So but there lots of stuff is is online. And course the wonderful thing is Ignatius Price set about twenty five years ago, I think it was. Maybe more than that, but it probably was now forget how old I am. Uh Publishing the the complete works, and uh, so and all of his all of his writings for the thirty five years he wrote for the Illustrated London News have all been published by Ignatius Press. But uh, just a few years ago, four or five years ago, all of his articles for the Daily News were published. But unfortunately, they were published in a in a high end series of books, which cost uh, I think it was uh,
0: six
1: hundred. So, so
0: that's £600, about $700. Well, probably then when they did it, it was probably close to a a $1,000 probably. Because they, yeah. because they were being published mainly for libraries. Right. They were they were okay. meant
1: to be. But what what would you read? To be honest, you could read anything, but orthodoxy is always a good place to start because... Or, or, or The Everlasting Man. Uh, if, you, if The Everlasting Man is, is, is good... Uh, now all these things are the most of them are out of copyright in the sense that you can you can find them on if you Google
0: them you can find them on, on online. Okay. So you uh, say the thing is copy. and we we're very close to winding down. I asked you for one and you've just given me five. So maybe next week yeah. we'll we'll narrow down to one. So now, so how can people um look into the the school project? Um can you give give us the um what is, what is interesting
1: is, um, I don't know if anyone is any of your uh, viewers and listeners, I this, but Dale Alquist, who's sort of the authority uh, on chess wonderful American, uh, he's, he's the head of the American Chess Society, which is a wonderful association and does, does really great work. And in fact, he himself has written some wonderful commentaries
0: on Yeah, and I, I, I actually, at the start of the program, before we started talking, I gave it's chest- chesterton.org. But very quickly, how do people, how can people support the project that, that you're right. trying well, we to. talk about
1: what I was going to talk about, can be talked about it later, it's not important. But uh, we have a website, which is, uh, stpetersfr.com, uh, because it's for school in France. Um, and a, if you go onto, if you go onto that, there's a donate button if you're, if you're interested in helping. What we're trying to do is, the reason I was mentioning Dale Alquist is because they've started, uh, the American Chesterton schools um, and it's very much resonant with what we are trying to do here as a Catholic school uh, along those distributors kind of lines but with you know, obviously distributism only as you know, as a philosophical idea yeah.
0: um, we actually we actually um we we have one of those St michaels academy within our within the listening area the the of people wow. are listening as well okay so that as as nearly completely done thank you father so next week we will be looking at um his conversion and and i think our lady we said that has because you want, yes that's there's a, and then the following week we'll either look at his views on confession or on his literature which you've touched upon and maybe just unpacking some of that for people so thank you very much let's finish by bringing our father together our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil amen in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for joining us today. You can listen again to this or any other episode of Let's Talk Catholic at our blog, letstalkcatholicpodcast.blogspot.com, or you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or almost any other podcast provider.